Oh, well, I just want to say thank you, first of all, to Lainey uh, for giving me permission to go as long as possible today. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. We'll, uh, we'll try to keep it... Uh, We'll try to keep it to a, to a minimum, but at the same time have the Holy Spirit just free to do what he wants to do uh, in this service and, and in our hearts. Uh, and that is my prayer. And that is my prayer as I uh, got ready for today. Uh, I just prayed that the Holy Spirit would, would, uh, would speak through me some of the things uh, that he's been laying on my, uh, on my heart. And uh, leading up to this, I actually thought I was going to be teaching out of... Uh, out of Second Corinthians, and just kind of, you know, going right through what we've continued to do from week after week, uh, and uh, as it as it worked out, as it turned out, uh, it uh, the Lord had a different a different plan, and so uh, we're going to work through that. But I, uh, but I love how in that God still uh, works uh, in a complementary manner. In fact, as I looked forward and I saw where we were coming in Second Corinthians. Uh, we were heading towards uh, a, a section of scripture on the message and the ministry of reconciliation. And so uh, I just pray that today as, as I speak, as the Holy Spirit hopefully speaks through me, uh, that this will be encouraging uh, to you, that it will be as challenging to you as it has been uh, to me, but that we would be encouraged and and I'm hoping that it will set the table uh, for next week as Rory picks up and continues on with 2 Corinthians. And I believe very strongly that God has, has guided us to this particular book, 2 Corinthians, at this time uh, in what he's doing in our church. Uh, and so I pray that this does, uh, does wonders in just igniting our heart to still continue on uh, as we approach this message of the re- ministry of reconciliation. But with that, I just want to pray before we get started and just invite the Holy Spirit to, to speak through me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. And Lord, I just am so grateful for the times of refreshing that you bring us. God, as I spent time in your word this week just pouring over looking at you and your life, the life of Jesus. And Lord, how much and how inspiring that was to me to see the disciples in their life and, and how often they failed just like I fail, Lord. And yet you love them just like you love us. And Lord, I believe strongly that you are the head of this church just like you're the head of your church. And in that, you've been guiding us and you've been, you've been directing us. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to do that and you would continue to prepare our hearts for ministry, for the things that you've called us to. Lord, as this team prepares to go to Nepal and the team that remains here is still just as involved in that ministry as we pray and we support the work that you are doing throughout the world. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, I just would ask that the Holy Spirit would speak through me today, that you would get Aaron out of the way. And Lord, I mean that with everything that's in my heart. You would speak to us from your word. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. What a week it has been. Uh, It's it's an interesting thing. I I had a pretty good direction on, on some things that the Lord 
has been laying on my heart and things that are very much in line with the work that he continues to do uh, in this body. And as I look out, I just see my, my family, and that's such a joy to me that today I get to share with my family, I get to share some of the things that the Lord has been laying on my heart, and I believe it's, it's, it's for us. It's not just for me, but maybe some of these things are just for me, and, and you would just be blessed today, and it would, it, would, it would give you a way to better pray and support uh, what God is doing in my heart. But I believe that many of these things uh, are for us. And we're going to spend some time today uh, in Luke 12. You're welcome to turn there now. I'll get there in a, in a couple minutes. Luke 12. But an interesting thing happened uh, this week as I just, I really felt the Lord was laying something specific on my heart. And uh, a brother who I, who I love with all my heart, he and I were talking. And, uh, and it was just neat to see how the Lord continues to resonate what he's doing in this, in this body. He continues to resonate uh, what, uh, what he's laying on our hearts, which is really just his mission. His mission to go and to make disciples in our city and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. And for some time, uh, and I'm going to speak a little bit about our culture for, for a minute. I hope that, uh, that that's okay. Uh, for some time, it's, 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 it's been neat to see this awakening that the Lord is doing. Because we can look around us and we can see that there are things that are very broken. The same culture that would champion tolerance is, is just as quick to turn around and, and, to, and to spew hatred towards those who don't agree with its definitions of what that means. The same culture that would, uh, that would preach take in refugees is the same culture that would, that would kill over a, a million babies a year without hardly having it affect our conscience collectively. I'm not speaking that to anybody, anybody here, but just collectively. And the same culture which... You were born into and I was born into. Uh, that basically from the moment that we enter this, this, this life, we're, we're so uh, much uh, given the, the, everything that we, that we possibly need. There's not much room other than what our heart wants. And so it wants and it craves and it, and it, and it looks for things and possessions. But it's not that we, that we strive uh, just to survive. And so we're, we're born into a very difficult culture. And so as we look at, at Luke 12, that, that was weighing on my heart because part of the problem with growing up in that culture is that we also see it affect the church. Those same things, those same tendencies, those same desires that are innate in us all have a, have a way of working themselves into the church. And, and as we see God moving across the earth and doing what he's doing, I just stand back in awe of him and his grace to us as a body. That he has opened our eyes to see. And he's opened our ears to hear. As I was talking with this with his brother, he shared a, an illustration with me that I, I just thought was so appropriate for what God is doing in this idea of our, of our culture. And so I'm just going to share that with you before we get into Luke 12. 
He said, imagine that you're a dad, which many of you are. I can imagine that five times over now. We have a lot of big families in this, uh, in this church, in case you hadn't noticed. So this, uh, uh, this illustration might fit really well and be really relevant. But imagine you have a number of kids. And you have, uh, and they grow up, and, they, and they're growing up, and, and over time they kind of get dispersed into different places. Maybe life situations, jobs take them different places. And imagine for a moment, if you will, that you have one child who has been blessed and given everything that they possibly need. In fact, more than that, they've, been, they've just been blessed by God's abundance. His, his favor has, has shined upon them and they've, and they've done well. And then imagine that you have these other children spread in different locations and, and they barely can get by. Some of them can barely survive. They're in, they're in difficult situations. Now, as a, as a parent, as a mother, as a father, what would your heart be? Of course, you would want that child that has so much, that has more than they could ever need, to be willing to reach out to the other brothers and sisters that don't have enough or who are just barely getting by. And so when I look at our culture I think a lot of the things that have, that have come and have entered into us are, are a lot about building us, a lot about building our own kingdoms. And, I, and I'm not talking just specifically to us today. I'm, I'm speaking kind of, kind of big picture here. But I hope that by the end of today, you'll see maybe some of the reasons why, uh, I, why I see that or believe that to be true. But I thank God that he is doing something in us. That he is awakening our heart to see beyond, not just the four walls and into this community, which he's also done, but he's given us eyes to begin to see his heart to go to those who literally have nothing, who have no gospel, who are dying and, and who have no hope in their life. You know, before we went to Nepal for the first time, this was an idea that I, that I kind of understood in my, in my head. I mean, I, I recognize that there were people out there that, that, it, that this existed, but it's a whole other thing to go there and to see it and to understand. And then to understand that this is just one of, one of, one of God's people, his, his children, one of his groups. And there are other brothers and sisters who are made in the image of God, who are, who are spread out in this, in this area, much of it in what we call the 1040 window, much of it in the world that is dominated by Islam, and they have no one to tell them about that hope. I believe there's many reasons for why that is. But, but I also believe, based on what I see, that this is God's grace to us being poured out. That we would see, that we would even understand that, that we would even come to a knowledge of that. And then it's, his God's, it's God's grace to them that he would do that as well. That he would awaken a culture that, that maybe has more to give than any culture that has ever existed on the planet. And in a time where every place that's easy to reach has been reached. It's happened. The reason that these places remain unreached is because they're difficult. They're hard to get to. Like Nepal. 
Some of our guys are going to be trekking up into the up into the Himalayas. It's not for the faint of heart. They're difficult to reach, both physically and politically. We know that. We know that our brother Saeed continues to sit in prison for, for nothing more other than just his faith, his willingness to go and to, and to share with people the love of Jesus. That's it. And he's not alone. The Christians over there face that sort of thing every single day. And yet we live in a culture that God has given the greatest resources and abundance to in history. So I want to set that precedent because as we look to Luke 12, something has just happened here right preceding this. Jesus has just had an encounter with the Pharisees. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's interesting because before teaching today, even though I knew I was going to teach from Luke 12, I actually read through all the Gospels. I went from, Ma- from Mark to Matthew to John, and then I came back to Luke. And as you read and as you, as you look, you see patterns that develop. And you, and you see uh, a lot of these in, instances and encounters that Jesus has with the Pharisees. And so he's just had one of these, one of these encounters. And picking up in verse 1, and we're just going to read it through. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And I'm going to pause there for a second because I want you to imagine for a moment that, that it was the Pharisees that so often uh, Jesus was, was, was talking about when he said that you're, uh, you're actually going and making disciples uh, in other places that are, that are twice the sons of hell as you are. They would often lay heavy burdens on people and, 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 and they themselves were not willing to carry those same burdens. He points out to them that they were hypocrites. And he does this again and again and again. That they believed that they had the truth. And so, so often he said, I came to, as a physician to those who are sick, not those who are well. If you think you're well, I have nothing to offer you. So we see this picture of the, of the Pharisees, and, uh, and, and I want us to, to kind of translate that for a moment. Because that does exist in our own culture as well. It may look a little bit different, but we live in a culture of hypocrisy. We live in a culture, as I, as I mentioned before, that, that preaches one thing and then over here won't, won't take the log out of their eye. And so... In a way, he's, he, this section, he's talking about being beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And I would just make a recommendation to us, an admonishment to us, that we would beware of the leaven of our culture. So as we continue on, starting in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are of more value than many sparrows. 
And we're just going to read this through to the end, and then we're going to come back. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, my brother, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, much like our land. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Beware of the leaven of our culture. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He goes on to say, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today... And tomorrow is thrown into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Stay dressed and ready for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
We're going to close with the last few verses here, and then we're going to jump back up. So Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew the master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. And I want to draw attention to this last statement that he makes here. He says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Now, I don't read that today to, uh, to lay more burden upon us, but I do read it because I want us to understand something clearly. As God continues to do what he is doing in our, in our body, in our, in our church, he has given us much. And he's not just given us much in, in resources, but he's, he's given us much knowledge. And to whom much is given, much will be required. And to whom is entrusted much, they demand the more. You know, as I watch the disciples as, as they walk through this, you know, this is mostly directed, uh, a lot of this teaching is directed to them. Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all? So Jesus spends a lot of time teaching the crowds, but he spends some time focusing directly on his disciples. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. You know, as we've been going through John and core groups, I don't know about you, but that's been a very rich and, 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 and growing thing for me. The Lord is using that time to really uh, come in and, and establish in my heart some things that maybe he hasn't been able to do in the past. And part of that is, is, is that as we, you know, as we look at John, John is so much about the identity of Jesus. And, and actually, that's one of the things that I want to speak to today. There's, there's some, some things here that the Lord draws out for us that we, that we are uh, to look at and to, and to look at and they'll help us to grow. But, but a lot of this is, is, uh, is, is above and beyond where, where we can even respond if we haven't first looked at two things. One is his authority. One of them is his identity. And they're, they're complementary. You can't really have one without the other. You see, because if we come to an understanding... In, of his identity, if we, if we come to the understanding that he is the Christ, then we have to also accept his authority as the Son of God, as the one who came and died and rose again. Then these red words that we're reading here today hold weight and they hold authority in our life. And by the same token, 
It's Jesus' authority that establishes his identity. So often he went around and, and the Pharisees would demand a sign, but, but he would tell them, if, you might not even believe everything that I say, but, but at least believe the signs that I do. He healed the sick. He opened the eyes of the blind. He cast out demons. He did all these things. So his authority also established his identity. You know, as disciples, I know that we intellectually, we understand this. We, we grasp this idea. But sometimes it doesn't always fully take hold in our heart. You know, it's an interesting exercise to read through the Gospels and to watch these guys interact with Jesus and him to interact with them. I, I wrote down a couple of notes and I, I just thought I'd share them with you. Just this idea of, of identity. You know, in John, speaking of John, as we just were talking about that. There's a, there's a particularly difficult teaching that Jesus, uh, after he feeds the 5,000, there's, there's an opportunity where, uh, where he comes and, and, he, and he tells them, well, you just, you know, you're only following me because you got your belly filled, you know. Uh, and, and he starts to teach them and he gives this difficult teaching about, uh, about how we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Uh, and unless we do that, we can't be his disciples. And, and many of them said, this is a, this is a difficult teaching. Who can, you know, who can, who can, who can listen to this? Who can, who can understand? And, and it says that many of them walked away. You know, Jesus was often skeptical of the crowds. And oftentimes I feel like in, uh, maybe in our culture that we, that, that a lot of times we're about building crowds, not about building disciples. But Jesus was kind of the opposite. As the crowd got bigger, it seems that Jesus would, would actually get a little bit more skeptical. And so he would teach something difficult to understand, difficult to hear. And what would that do? It would, it would oftentimes drive many of, of those who were just following him to have a full belly away. But I love Peter's response. He says, after this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Peter answered him, Lord, to whom Shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter understood his identity, he understood who Jesus was. You know, not too, too much further back than that, uh, Jesus asked the disciples a question. He says, Who do you, you know, who, does, who do they say that I am? He says, some, will, some say you're John the Baptist, some say that you're Elijah. He says, but who do you say that I am? Peter again responds, the Christ, the Son of God. So I, I believe that I'm speaking to many here, maybe most here, that already have this idea and this understanding of who Jesus is. If I were to ask you to show a hands in this room, how many of you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I, I'm confident that most of the hands in this room would be up. So if we, if we understand the identity of Jesus, and we understand then, or we, we come to this place where we are willing to uh, admit his authority, then that has implications for our life. And that's what we're going to look at. 
But I think one of the things that often holds us back, and this is kind of where I want to want to focus on a little bit today. Sometimes we're afraid. We have fear. It's a natural, normal human thing. We're afraid. And as I look on much of my life and I see where the Lord has, by His grace, brought me through so many things, I can look back and I can see that one of the many things that often held me back was fear. That fear can manifest itself in many, in many ways. Perhaps it's fear of man. Perhaps we're afraid of our, what our reputation well, what that means to our reputation if we, if we confess Jesus is the Christ and we, we look at living our lives the way that he lays out for disciples in scripture. Perhaps that's actual fear of our life. You know, in our culture right now, many are afraid of the time and the season of what we're living through and living in. You know, as we watch things unfold, world events, we see... Uh, started for me on September 11th, 2001. I don't know about you. But as what turned into just another day of going to work, traveling the commute that I, that I drove every day, suddenly turned into one of the most surreal and life-altering moments. And we're still feeling the effects of that today. Many things in our society have changed since that day, but I just remember being at work and realizing in that moment, that one singular moment, as we were pregnant with Janae, she wasn't born yet, so my oldest, she's almost 14. And I can just remember thinking, she's going to grow up in a world that's so much different than mine. I wasn't alive during World War II. I grew up through some of the greatest economic and, and what we would look at and say social uh, movements of, of, our, of our, maybe in history. We saw communism fall. We saw the walls come down. We saw uh, incomes rise. We saw people being, uh, you know, just blessed and blessed and blessed like never before. And that was the world I was born into. And so suddenly on that day, a, a, a paradigm shift happened, although it was kind of subtle because I, I didn't really realize the full ramification of it. But I knew something changed that day. And so as we look around and we see our world is not yet quite recovered and probably will not from acts of hatred of people who are willing to give their life and die out of hate. That is the world that we are, are living in. That is the world that your children and my children are living in. That is the world that our, uh, that our newest uh, members are being born into. And that's a difficult world if we're walking around in fear. If we look back at Luke 12, and I just want to jump back in there real quick. Jesus addresses this question of fear. Oops, sorry, my notes are... Here we go. Verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after having that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you 
whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. You know, we can read that a couple of different ways. I think the wrong way is that we can read that and, and, and feel like we have to shudder in fear from God. I don't think that's what he's saying. In fact, when I read that, the part that stands out to me the most is at the very end. It says, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. But the truth is that I, Aaron, often fear men or things more than I fear God. And so he's given us here a picture. He says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. And after that, they have nothing more that they can do. And as the Lord began to speak to me in this, he said, are you convinced? Is that convincing to you? Are you convinced of, of who I am? Are you convinced of my authority? Are you convinced that what I say is what is true? And as I answered that question, it was yes, and yes, and yes. But I think there's a part of us, just like the disciples, where we can understand this in our, in our mind, but until we experience things, it's a little bit difficult for us to, to always handle this uh, and, and not to fail. And I fail regularly at this. But you see, they did too. You see, that's one of the neat things about looking through this big picture and going through all the Gospels this week before even coming up to teach was that I looked at the example of the disciples, and you know what? They were afraid. They were afraid. The same ones that would say, hey, you're the son of God, were the ones that were also in a boat just a few chapters before. You see, in Luke 8, four chapters before where we're at right now, they're in a boat, and there's a hurricane or some kind of a storm raging around them. And what's Jesus doing in that storm? He's sleeping. He's resting in the boat. What are the disciples doing? They're afraid. They're wanting to wake up Jesus because they're worried that, that they're going to die. They're worried about their life. They're, they're, so while they understand they're following this guy, they've, they've bought into who Jesus is enough to follow him, they're still afraid. And he wakes up and he says, oh, you have little faith. And then he commands the, the waves and the sea to be quiet. And what do the disciples do? They said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You know, further on, I listened to a teaching this week, actually, that was really inspiring to me in this very thing. Later on, he takes him and, he's, and he goes over and, and uh, right after this, they go out and they, uh, they cast out a demon-possessed man who, who the scripture says that, that the, the people couldn't even bind him anymore because he would just break the chains. So what does Jesus do? He goes and he confronts the demonic and, and a few chapters later, we see him giving them authority to do the same thing. And they go out. And they preach and they heal the sick. 
And they cast out demons. And yet in all of this, there's still moments where these guys are afraid. Where they have little faith. But the point is, as we experience things, as God takes us through things, that, that fear, that doubt begins to wane. You know, as God continues to, to take our church through this journey that we're on, this journey of going to the nations, of going to our community, as we're willing to die to self, the more that we're willing to experience and live out this life that he's called us to live, the more that he has the opportunity to work through us. Because guess what? It's not our power anyway. It's his. And I forget that. So when I'm afraid, what am I afraid of? Am I afraid that God's not going to show up? He's not going to do it? You know, Paul, when he talks about in his life, and we know the life that Paul lived, Paul said, I count it all as loss, every, everything, for the surpassing worth of knowing him. And he said that to die is gain. See, Paul understood that, that this life was not what this is about. In fact, at times, I think Paul was probably like, just kill me, just kill me, right? I just, I just want to go be with him, just, just do it. And he said, yet it's more important for me to remain here with you. But Paul was not afraid to die. But the truth is, as long as you and I are afraid, it's going to be difficult for us to move forward. If I'm afraid to die, it's going to be difficult for me to get on a boat and go across the ocean and go somewhere where my very life might be in jeopardy just for the sake of knowing him. You know, if I'm afraid of what comes tomorrow, if I'm afraid of, uh, of how I'm going to provide for my family, then I might not be willing to let go of something that God asked me to let go of. If I find my security in my 401k or in my job, if that's where I find it instead of that identity in Jesus, who says right here that I'll feed you just like I feed the birds, I'll clothe you just like I clothe the lilies of the field, then I might not be willing to do what God would call me to do. You see, we all have to deal with this issue of fear, every one of us. And I would submit to you that a lot of what we see in our culture, and by that I mean that, well, yes, in our culture, our culture lives very much in fear. But also within the church, within this culture, I believe is a, is a lot of response of fear. We're unwilling to really let go of everything. We're unwilling to, to lay it at his feet. And it's very much counter to what our culture says. Our culture says, no, save, be wise, prepare, plan, have it all together. Jesus says, trust me, I've got it, don't worry. Isn't that the case? Our culture is often the one who says, no, go shoot and kill your enemy. Jesus says, no, be willing to give up your life for them. Be willing to lay down your life for the sake of somebody else. You are not your own. So living the life that Christ calls us to and living the life our culture calls us to are two different lives. And we have to make the choice, which one are we going to follow? 
I want to share with you guys just for a moment as I close here. This is something that's very near and dear to my heart. Because as I mentioned to you, the majority of my life I lived in fear. You know, if I were to ask you all a question, from elder to the newest saved person in this room, and I, and I asked you this question, what would you do? How would you live your life if, if, you're, if you weren't afraid? How would you, you know, what would you do? What would your life look like if you lived this life and you weren't afraid? See, I can look back and I can answer that question looking back, but it's a little bit hard to answer it moving forward. But I can look back and I can see the points in my life where fear reigned and fear kept me from stepping out and doing the things maybe that God was calling me to or placing on my heart. Fear kept me in chains. Fear kept me in bondage. You know, a lot of the things that God started to do in my heart, and, and, and I just want to speak to that a little bit, was, uh, you know, it started out with, with, with thoughts, right? It started out with, with an idea. Jesus would say, uh, or the Holy Spirit would speak to me, you know, if this is true, if all this is true, if this word that we read right here is true, then what's the most important thing that we could be doing? What's the most important thing that you can be doing right now? If you believe this to be true, and this is really uh, true, so I'm, and this is the conversation I'm having in my head, then the, then the response that came out was, well, it would seem that we need to tell people about this. We need to go out. We need to preach the gospel. If this is true, there's nothing more important that we can do than preach the gospel. But it took a long time for my heart to catch up with my head. See, the Holy Spirit began to, to show me and to bring things to reality and to speak them to my, to my head, but my heart took a while. And we're all in that same process. The same thing happened with my life when I looked at, at the, some of the sin patterns that were in my life. You know, we talk about something called habitual sin. You know, those things that we just keep falling into again and again and again and again and just can't have victory. And I've shared with many of you uh, that story, that testimony of fasting and how God just radically changed my thinking. But the truth is, for years, I think I probably could have had victory if I had, if I had wanted something. See, I wanted to be rid of the sin, but I didn't want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I felt guilty, as we all do, when we are in, uh, involved in, in things that we know are, 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 are contrary to God's command, things that we know are not right. And so I felt the guilt and the shame and the cycle that was there, and I would ask God to take those things from me. But the problem was I never asked Him to come in and be Lord over all of it. I just wanted him to get rid of what was making me uncomfortable. I just wanted him to get rid of the things that were, that were plaguing me. And you know what? It didn't help that as I read in scripture, I saw John's call in 1 John that said, uh, I can't continue to, to live in, in that pattern of life and, and call myself a believer. Because it said very clearly, that how can I keep on sinning when God's seed abides in me? That was hard. That was hard for me to read. It was hard for me to hear. But God used that truth to really start to work in my heart. 
And as I began to ask tough questions, it forced me to do one thing. It forced me to come to him. Because you see, the truth is, I couldn't do it on my own. Just like you can't do it on your own. None of us can do it on our own. As I faced up to the fact that, that yes, the most important thing I can do is preach the gospel, but I realized I'm too afraid to preach the gospel. I'm too afraid of doing that. And I've been that way since I was just a kid. I remember in youth group, you know, somebody saying, we need to start a club, we need to get a Bible club going, and all these other things. And I said, I can't do it. And I even remember saying, God, you've got the wrong man because I am not willing to put my reputation on the line for you. I can't do it. It wasn't even that I was willing. I couldn't do it. God, you've got the wrong guy. And yet as time progressed, the Lord worked in my heart. And eventually, uh, as I was in high school, the Lord started something very special on the campus at our school. Not because of me. Not because of anything that, that, that there was to offer, but just being willing to be used in something that he was calling us to do. And you know, that's the same thing for each of us. You know what, I, you cannot give up that security that you find in, in income, in, in finances, in your 401k plan. You can't do it. You can't give up the... the uh, the effects that this culture has on us in terms of these habitual sins and these other things that we've, that we've fallen into. You can't do it. I couldn't do it. But it drove me to the one who can. You see, that's the incredible thing about all of this, is that this isn't up to, to us about what we are able to do. Because as we come to these realizations, it drives us to Him. And it drives us to our knees. And when we are willing to accept his identity of who he is, which is the king, and we're willing to make him, uh, to give him that place in our life, actually just to acknowledge it because he already has it. He is already king whether we accept it or not. But when we get to that place where we are willing to submit to his, his authority, submit to his identity, then amazing things begin to happen. You see, that is my story, was submitting to the king. And I believe that's our story as a church. We've submitted to the king. We've sought him. We've been on our knees. We've been uh, in fasting and prayer and saying, Lord, what will you do? And he doesn't look for gifted and, and, and capable people. He looks for those who are willing. And the same thing happens in our individual lives as we look to surrender these things, as we look to deal with these things in our life, to overcome this fear, he doesn't look for people who are able. He looks for people who are willing to accept him as king. You know, there are many hindrances in our culture. And I wanted to read a couple things as I, as I close here, but from 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. You know, we can look around us, and Jesus actually tells us later in Luke 12, I'm not going to read it, but he tells us that that how is it that you can, you can discern the seasons? You know when it's going to change uh, from season to season. But you can't look around and see what's going on in, uh, around you. You need to be able to look and discern just like you can look and discern the seasons. You see that winter is coming. You see that dark is coming. You know, when we look around and we see that God has gone out and, and his word has been proclaimed to the nations. And last time I taught, I showed you guys a video that showed this progression of the gospel going forward. 
And we see what's going on in our culture. We see the, the, you know, the, the falling away, if you will, from, from things that are true to things that are not. We see a, a, instead of our culture embracing the idea of freedom of, of, of religion, meaning that you can believe whatever religion you want, uh, they, they've taken that to mean you need to take it completely out and, and only practice it in your public life. You know, we've gone from... Uh, from churches that are full of power. You know, one of the things that, that really caught my heart when we were in Nepal is that every single person who we talked to who had a testimony of how they came to Jesus, and, and this is how God is moving in Nepal. But you know what? It's, it's very biblical. It's how Jesus moved in Scripture too. He confirmed the gospel with, with, with healing and signs and wonders. And you know what? Most of these people who we talk to and encourage in the church there, almost every one of them has a testimony of either healing or deliverance from, uh, from possession or other things that, that showed them that God is powerful. And yet we live in a culture and a church that wants to, wants to get rid of all things supernatural, all things that have anything to do with power and say none of that, if it can't be explained, it doesn't exist. You know, and that reminds me very much when I just look at the, all the things going on around us and I, and I think about this. This is what the Lord lays on my heart again and again. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he goes on to say this, and he says, having the appearance of godliness, but, but, de but denying its power, avoid such people. You know, as we move forward, and we can clearly see God's hand, and we, I don't need to rehash this, because we've gone through it over and over again through this season of time, as we've, as we've shown the hand of God kind of leading this church in the way that we've gone. I don't want us to be a church that is afraid to lay hands on the sick and to pray. You know, one thing is, is we can be certain of is that if we are, are unwilling to do that, we probably will never get to see God move in power in that way. But if we're willing to do that, at least we're positioning ourselves in a place where we have the opportunity to see God move. And if you're here long enough, if you've been a part of this church long enough, you've seen God move and heal and touch lives. He's already doing it. You know, as, I, as I'm summing things up here, I just I wrote down a few statements I just felt like the Lord was, was placing on my heart, and this is one of them. And I don't know who this will resonate with, but I want you to, to, to understand that a life marked by fear will seek to preserve itself. A life marked by faith will seek to die to self. i read that again. A life marked by fear seeks to preserve itself. To preserve me, my reputation, my things, my, my, my. But that's not the life that Jesus calls us to as disciples. He calls us to die to ourselves. That we might live. You know, it's this great irony. You see, for so long, we don't realize that we're slaves. We're slaves to those things, whatever they may be. It could be sin. It could be our possessions. It can be our very life. The very thing that's holding us back are, uh, are, is fear and, and this bondage. 
And when we finally let go of it, there's freedom. And here's the thing. When you've been set free, you know, people often ask why I'm so passionate about, uh, about this idea that we could be free from sin. It's because when you're set free from something, you want freedom for everybody else too. When, when God does something in your life, you want everybody to experience it as well. When God sets us free, we want others to be free. You know, see, that's part of, the, part of the great part of this. This isn't something where it's a checklist of, this is what I have to do, and to be a good uh, evangelist, I need to talk to ten people this week. When God gets a hold of your heart and he brings you freedom, it will be a natural response. It will flow out to everybody else who's around you. And one of the things that I'm convinced of, because it was so powerful in my life, is that we need to stop listening to the deceiver who brings condemnation and instead come to God and say, what do you want to do in me? You see, it's Satan that will come and say, you cannot be free. You cannot let go of that thing. See, you've, you've messed up too much. You cannot be used. It is Satan who comes and brings condemnation. But I would encourage us today, rather than listen to that guy, why don't we come to God and say, what do you want to do in me? If I'm struggling in sin, Lord, what do you want to do in me to have victory over that? What do you want to do for, me to be, for you to be king of those areas of my life? You see, the great part is, that, as I mentioned before, it's not about you. It's Christ in you. And that's a part of this idea. As we, get, as we progress in this, in this life, as we progress and experience God's, God's power and his release in our life, then our job is to receive and to give, it's not to do, it's to receive and to give. We become a conduit. You know, we look at the example of Peter and John. They go and they, and they see this lame man uh, and, and they say, Hey, silver and gold I can't give you, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Peter and John didn't have the power to make that guy walk. They were nothing more than a conduit that God was using. And, I, and I'm convinced that the more that we walk with him and the more that we are obedient to his voice, the more that he leads us in this path of being able to be a conduit for him to work. But for a lot of us, that's an issue of faith. And you know what? It was the same thing with the disciples. You know, as I was reading through and I saw that example, here Jesus has given them power to go and heal and cast out demons. And then he takes uh, three of them along, kind of a special trip you know, to, to see the glory of God exposed in the transfiguration. And the rest of the disciples, the same ones he gave power to do miracles to, were having problems because they, they were brought a boy and they couldn't cast the demon out. And they came to him and said, Jesus, why? and what, what does he first say actually? He says, oh, generation, you have little faith. How long am I going to bear with you? He kind of rebukes them. And then they come to him later and they say, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do it? He says, it's because you didn't have faith. And this kind only comes out by prayer and by fasting. So you see, as we experience God, as we see him do things, then it builds our faith. It builds our, our ability to walk forward and, and then hear him and, and obey him and do it again. As I've walked in this, in this life, and I feel like I'm just a baby in this. As I walk in this life of, 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 of trying to be uh, available and ready for God to use. And, and as I've watched him change and transform things in my life. The, the thing that's important is that we keep bringing it forward. 
What's a good example of that? Well, for, for our family, it was that for the last three years, we were involved in a phenomenal opportunity that God brought our way. I would meet with Adam and with Jesse Martinez, and we would pray every morning, and both of us, uh, both Jesse and I were uh, running our own businesses, Adam runs his own, and we would just pray, and we just saw God do miracle after miracle after miracle to provide, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm talking about some pretty astounding things, but you know what that did? It produced faith. And as I experienced that, and as we saw God do the impossible, and he answered prayers, especially for finances, uh, and what we were doing, it, it, it built all of us up. And we all participated in it. In fact, it got to the point, I've shared this before, we just say, well, if you need anything, just come to our prayer meeting, because God just answers whatever we pray. It was, it was an incredible season. Incredible season. One of the best things that I've ever experienced in my life. And then you fast forward to just a, a few months ago, well actually about a year ago, and as I was preparing to teach, the Lord told me that there was a change coming in my family. I was, it was a period of fasting and a period of, a period of prayer, and I felt the Lord tell me there is a change coming, and I knew what that meant. It meant that all of this wonderful provision and all these things that we'd enjoyed, all that security that the Lord had brought us was going away. That was right around uh, October 31st last year. And as the Lord spoke that to me, I realized that it meant a separation was coming, that God was making a change. You see, for years he'd kind of put a desire in our heart to do ministry. And, and, and just after we watched the incredible things God did, I just assumed that that meant that God was going to use this opportunity to project us into ministry. And why not? I mean, he'd done so many incredible things. It wasn't, it wasn't a stretch for us. We, our faith was, was at the top of the mountain. And yet in that, I knew that that meant that, that things were going to change and that the paychecks were going to stop coming. And sure enough, November 1st last year was the last paycheck that we received regularly. As we... We're ready to just jump out. We just kept assuming God was going to do something in that situation. He was going to bring about a great blessing and a great return for all the hard work that we'd put in. I said, God, certainly we deserve this, right? <laughs> we, not only did we walk in faith and trust you and, and, and do everything that you asked us to do, but we also uh, um, uh, have, have worked very hard. We put everything we have into this. And yet God has had different plans. And so while we have not had a steady paycheck in a year, God is taking care of us. And he's continuing to shape our hearts to be ready and to be prepared for what he's calling us to do. And the incredible thing is he keeps showing us pictures of what that looks like. And the more he shows us, I have to say, the more fearful I am that I can't do it. I know I can't do it. But I know the one who can. And it's not us anyway. It's him. You know, as I mentioned before, the world has plenty of people, we see it every day when we turn on the news, who are willing to die out of hate. There's another shooting in Colorado Springs. I'm sure you guys saw it on the news. Somebody went in and shot at an abortion clinic. And I understand 
the anger and the frustration that is there. But the life of discipleship is not one of, of vengeance. In fact, Jesus tells us we are not the ones to take out vengeance. He tells us we're to die to self. So what the world needs is not people who are willing to die out of hate. It's those who are willing to die out of love. And that doesn't just mean give our, give our lives <coughs> physically. He needs that too. Now what was his growth plan for the early church? How are you guys going to overcome and conquer all the, all the hatred, all the persecution? We're just going to offer ourselves up. We're going to die. That was his growth plan. Guess what? The world was changed by those who were willing to die out of love, who recognized and believed and came to understand and, and, and were convinced. I guess that's the right word to use. They were convinced of the truth. And so that is my prayer for us, that we would be convinced of the truth, that we would die out of love, that we would be willing to sacrifice whatever he calls us to sacrifice. That might be our very lives. That might be our our 401k. That might be our time and the things that we give our time to. That might be the things that we've called entertainment that we allow into our home. That's a tough one for me to say because I don't want to come across as, as legalistic because this isn't a legalistic God that we serve and this isn't a legalistic journey that we're on. But I look at how much that I've allowed to sneak into my home. And Satan is so crafty and he's such a deceiver. Maybe it's the places that we spend our time. You know, God isn't, isn't a, a taskmaster who's, who's out there saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't enjoy, you can't... In fact, if anything, we, we need those things. He's given those things to us. But when we die to self, it's also about putting others before ourselves. And God has given us such a brilliant and, and incredible opportunity. I know you guys know the numbers. There's 3.2 billion people that have never heard the gospel. About 6,500 people groups represented by that. In Nepal alone, there are several, several dozens and hundreds of groups, right? Have not yet heard the gospel. Will we go? Will we, will we sacrifice? Will we make sure that they hear? You know, it seems impossible when I think about some of the things that I feel God laying on my heart for us to do. But I serve a God who deals well in the impossible. It is impossible. I can't do it. You can't do it. Why, in his wisdom, he chooses to wake up a little country church out in the middle of Oregon and say, go to the nations and, and do this. I'm calling you. Why he does that, we don't know. But he picks the foolish things of the world and he shames the wise. We do know that. None of us come here thinking that we have anything to offer other than our willingness. And yet it's so clear that God has done what he has done, that he has led us in the paths that he's led us to and the connections that he's, he's brought us to and made. He took us to Nepal the first time and he's taking us there again. And I believe that it's just the beginning of, of the story that God is writing for this church and for what he's doing on the earth. And as we look and we see the things changing around us, and worship team, why don't you go ahead and come up whenever you're ready.
We see that our culture is changing. We see that, that the winds of favorability are, are moving away from us. And it's not that we've enjoyed this great surge of support from our culture, but we obviously see it eroding. We live in a, in a culture that has, that has exchanged the truth of God for a lie, Romans 1. And in that is worship the created thing instead of the creator. And you know, that's the, that's the culture that we're born into. And I have to tell you guys, I think it's more difficult. I think it's more difficult for us to come to this, this same understanding of what we read here in scripture, of these red words that Jesus gives us and writes to us. I think it's a lot harder for us to come to an understanding in our culture uh, than, than it is in a place where we are persecuted. We're forced by the very nature of either going to jail or losing all that we have for the sake of his name. You know, that's the incredible thing about being in Nepal. You, you're around these Christians who give up everything in order to, to say yes to Jesus. They're convinced that he is who he says he is. They bought into his identity and they bought into his authority. And that's more important than their family. That's more important than, than where they're going to get their, their food next month. And yet he loves them. And he loves us. I came up here today not knowing for sure what I was going to teach because I had so much on my heart that the Lord is, has been weighing on and dealing within me. And if I could just be transparent with you guys, there's a part of me who wants to be afraid. Because doing what God calls us to do isn't always easy and we can't do it in our flesh. It's dependent upon Him. I'm nervous about what that means for our family. I'm nervous about what that means for, for our future. But any sense of, uh, of control that I think I have is just an illusion anyway. God is in control of all things. And you know, if I'm afraid to take my children overseas or if I'm afraid to go in some of the places where I believe he's going to take me if I'm afraid of my life if I'm afraid of of anything I won't be able to do it you see there's a difference between being brave and being fearless those are two different things I want to be fearless I don't know about you but that's my heart I don't want to be bound to anything. I don't want anything to have control and power over me except one thing, the king. And when he says go, I want to go. What would that look like in our community? If we lived without fear, if when we walked into the park or we walked into the grocery store and God said, go, that's it's go time right there. Go pray for that person. And we did it. You know, I'm convinced that our culture, uh, especially the way that we've gone, isn't looking for a powerless Christianity. It's not looking for something that's empty. People want to believe in something, but they don't want to believe it if you don't. They don't want to believe it if I don't. If this is just an idea, if this is just a nice philosophy and a way to live life, forget about it. And it's not doing us any good either. We have got to buy into the fact that Jesus 
is the authority and he is the king. I think there's enough in this room to transform the world, let alone a community, if we would just be willing to live fearless. You see, that passage we read in Luke is kind of ironic, isn't it? He says, you're putting fear in other things other than the one, the very one who has the power over all of this, and you're worried about a man and what he can do to you. And this isn't about, like I said, being afraid of God. In fact, he says, fear not, you're loved. Fear not, you are loved. He wants this for us. He wants us to live in that freedom and that understanding. Because if we do, it changes everything. Does it not? It changes everything. So as we, as we close today, as the worship team plays that song, I want you guys to ask that question. Lord, what areas of my life do you need to be the king? For some of us, you may have walked in here and maybe Jesus isn't your king at all. Today that can change. And you can be free. For the first time in your life, you can be free. And for those of us who believe, who are disciples, who are chasing after him, I venture to say every one of us has something in our life that we need to surrender to him. And I venture to say every one of us deals with fear. And yet he wants to take away that fear in us. He wants to make us unstoppable. You know, if you don't fear death, and I mean that in any area of your life, but it's even physically, of course, if you don't fear death, imagine what you could do. If you weren't afraid, imagine where you might go. I'm speaking to me here. You guys, maybe, maybe you don't fear all the same things that I do. But I need that too. I deal with fear. And I don't want to anymore. The same freedom that God has brought in other areas of my life, I want him to bring to my entire life. I want to walk outside these doors and if God says go and it doesn't matter if it's to my neighbor or, or across the ocean, I want to go. I don't want to hesitate. And I want to trust that he will provide everything that we need. You know, that's been the most difficult thing for my family and yet God continues to show himself faithful, even last night. I won't go into the details, but we got hit with something that we just did not expect. And instantly, God provided the need. That's the God I serve, and he's continued to show himself so faithful. How can I not want to surrender to him? So as we close, I just want this to be a time between you and the Lord. And Rory and myself, Kevin, I'd love it if he would come up here too. And we'd be here just to pray with you guys if you desire to pray. If not, and you're just dealing with something in, in your seat, and it's between you and God. But we're here to pray with you. And if not, come up and pray for me. I need it. What God is calling us to is way outside my comfort zone, and I, and I don't feel ready to share it all today. But we will as the time is right. But God is moving in us, and he's doing things. And I don't want to be afraid. So as we close, take this time between you and him and just ask him, Lord, where do you need to be king in my life?